0: I love getting to sing Christmas carols or songs about Christmas this time of year. It is probably one of my favorite things it's uh, you get to sing theologically rich songs that uh, have such significant meaning for us not only sentimentally but more importantly they have they have meaning for our lives and, and and how we live each day and where our hope is and as we were singing, light of the world, you step down into darkness. That, that, that truth is really what we're going to be talking about today from John chapter 1. And there is a part in the song where he says, you're, you're altogether lovely. You're altogether worthy. Altogether wonderful to me. Sadly, at times, I can't say that. As I ought. Sadly, at times I lose sight of who Jesus is, of the fact that He is altogether lovely. He's altogether worthy. He is altogether wonderful. But this morning, let us take a look at John, chapter one, verses one through eighteen, and we're going to look and see Jesus, who is altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether. Wonderful, And maybe you're like me, and maybe this morning He wasn't altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to you. Maybe you've forgotten. What a wonderful chance for us to be reminded of who Jesus is. And to be filled with joy over the fact that He is lovely and worthy and wonderful. Over the next three weeks, beginning with this morning, we are going to be focusing on Christmas-oriented messages because we want to focus on Jesus. There's no passage in the Bible that tells us to celebrate Christmas at a certain time each year. You may be shocked. There's no, there's no passage in the Bible that says that there's a holiday named Christmas. But to some degree, having Christmas messages can, can be a little artificial. You are be shocked, then why are we doing three Christmas messages in a row? Well, this is an excellent time really to redirect our thoughts and our hearts to, to who Jesus is and why He came. You see, although we don't we don't find Christmas holiday in the Bible, we do find a myriad of reasons for us to celebrate who Jesus is. We find a myriad of reasons to celebrate who Jesus is and what he has done in every Christmas season. It's a great time for us to reflect on who Jesus is and what he's done and ask ourselves some questions. It's a good time to ask ourselves who we are really celebrating. To explore this Jesus Christ that so many claim to celebrate. And really these, these messages are not meant to be just sentimental filler. They're also meant to be tied to our mission together as a church. They're not just, okay, we do this, then we do this, and we do this. No, th- these, these are really tied to the mission of who we are as a church. If you remember back in our last family meeting, we talked about how our mission together as a church to be disciples of Jesus Christ. To be growing as disciples, to be making disciples of Jesus. And this morning we're going to ask one really big question. We're going to ask a very big question this morning, and we're going to seek to answer that question from scriptural. As the the carol we sang this morning asked, what child is this? What child is this? Who are we singing about? What child is this? We want to ask, who's this Jesus that was born so long ago? How is this tied to our mission? Well, it's tied to our mission together that really, if we answer the question of who Jesus is, that'll help us define whether or not we really are disciples of him. You have to understand who Jesus is in order to be a follower of him, don't you? And in addition to finding out who Jesus is, to be a follower of him, you have, you have to know who he is and be growing in the knowledge of Jesus if you want to be growing as a disciple of Jesus. And that's our goal this morning is to grow as disciples of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful one. And then lastly, we need to understand who Jesus is if we're going to help make disciples. If we're going to use this season, and I would encourage you, church, use this season, this unique season where there is the gospel being sang all around, even when people don't know it, and say, hey, do you hear that song? Can I tell you about who that Jesus is that we're singing about? What a great opportunity. So this morning, we want to equip you to share a word in season, to, to take advantage of many people who have no clue what they're celebrating. Great. Take advantage of that and share with them, hey, can I tell you who this Jesus is that that, that that song is just talked about? Can I tell you who this Jesus is that we celebrate this morning? So let us read together from the Holy Scripture. John 1, 1 through 18. If I could get that clicker we had this morning. That's okay. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Don't go too fast over these verses. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. No one has ever seen God. You can almost insert a but there at the semicolon. The only God. Who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And that's good news this morning. Let's pray. Father I pray this morning that you would. Illuminate. Our minds. Jesus you are the light of the world. I pray that you would shine on any darkened minds in this room, minds who do not know You yet. I pray that You would illuminate all those who do not know You. Pray, Father, that You would also help us understand all those who do know You, who have received You, who are children of God. I pray that You would help us better understand Jesus and understand who You are, Jesus. Pray that You would bless not only the preaching, but bless the hearers as well. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you don't know who someone is, you are bound to treat them differently, aren't you? If you go to the checkout counter and uh, in Walmart and you say hello to somebody, it would be a lot different experience than if that's your son or your daughter or your friend. If you don't know somebody, you're going to treat them differently if you don't know who they really are. Shakespeare used this idea in literature as well when he wrote the play Henry V and... He told the story of how King Henry disguised himself in order to find out just what his troops really really thought about him. And there's a humorous moment where Henry goes and he's sitting around the fire and one of the men ends up challenging him to a duel. And, and he, he hands him his glove and he puts a glove in his hat because in that day apparently they wore the gloves in their hats. And and, and so he finds out eventually who Henry is and he's very sheepish and, and it it changes his view of the man who sat across the fire from him. In recent years, there's a, a, a man named King Abdullah of Jordan. And he was, he was infamous, really, and he still is, for he loves to disguise himself and go out in public. And he's disguised himself as many different characters. He disguised himself as a cabbie once. And he, he went out as an immigrant. He, he's gone as a postal worker Um, he's gone as many different disguises a homeless man in order to find out what people really thought of government. And he got some real raw ideas about what his own people thought about government. Now I would bet if those people knew that that was King Abdullah, their king, standing in front of them, they probably would have answered him somewhat differently. Even if they didn't say anything wrong, they probably would have answered him in light of who he was. There's lots of humorous stories about how mortified people were when they discovered that he was indeed their king. The question for each of us today is, do we know who Jesus is? Because if we know who Jesus is, who is this Jesus? What child is this? It affects the way we treat him. It affects the way we view him. It affects the way we relate to him. If we understand that he was full of grace and truth, if we understand that he's the word, if we understand that... He's the creator. If we understand that He is the giver of light and life. If we understand that He's the, the giver of all grace. It's going to affect the way we relate to Him. It's going to affect the way we come to Him and treat Him. So the question for us today is do we really know who this Jesus is that Christians celebrate? Who's this man that we worship? Do you know Him personally? I challenge you to consider. Do you know Him personally for who He really is? Do you... Do you want to know Him personally? How well do you know Jesus? Do you want to know more? Who is Jesus to you? Is He the one you love the most? Is He altogether worthy? Is He altogether lovely? Is He altogether wonderful to you? How do you think of Jesus? Are you grateful for Jesus? Do you live for Him? You see, if we don't know who Jesus is, if we don't understand who is this Son of God who took on flesh, we're going to end up relating to Him differently And for who he truly is. And our verses that form the beginning of John's gospel. John really tells us a lot about Jesus. And in fact, this, this opening prologue, if you will, of the gospel of John. It summarizes the entire gospel message and the entire message of the book of John. When John was first called by Jesus, he was a roughneck fisherman. He didn't truly understand who Jesus was. And even most of the way through his ministry, they They thought he was a rabbi. They weren't sure. Maybe he's the Messiah. They're not exactly sure. He became sure when he saw Jesus transfigured. And then he became even more sure when he saw Jesus die. And then when he saw Jesus resurrected, he saw proof of who Jesus was. And that changed everything for John. See, John understood that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. John understood that Jesus is the eternal son of God. Who came to reveal the truth. And no matter what, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, you're going to be held accountable for how you respond to Jesus. Jesus is not a character to be ignored in history. He's not a sentimental figure in history. Jesus can't be ignored, whether you're a Christian or not. What you say about Jesus, what you believe about Jesus, will define you eternally. Will you respond to him in faith, believe in his name, receive him, become a child of God? Will you reject the truth that Jesus reveals and be rejected by God? That's the question to you this morning. Matthew 10.34, Jesus said, He didn't come to bring peace on earth. Wait a minute, I thought this was a Christmas message. Jesus said, He didn't come to bring peace on earth. I haven't come to bring peace, he says, but a sword. But here's the, the promise he tells us in Matthew 10, 34. He says, He promises to acknowledge before the Father anyone who acknowledges him before men. Or deny anyone before the Father who denies him before men. Like Jesus' question to Peter and his disciples, Jesus asked Peter's disciples, Who do you say that I am? And he asks us today, Who do you say that I am? The good news is that. The Bible clearly lays that out for us. We can know Jesus for who he is. John tells us in the prologue, just six points I'm going to cover this morning, briefly. Jesus is the eternal word of God. Jesus is the creator. He's the giver of light and life. He's the promised son of God. He's the only giver of grace and truth. The last point we're going to cover is that we can either receive Jesus or we can reject him. You see, his first two verses in John, they tell us a lot about The truth of who God is. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In just two verses, John reveals a monumental truth that Jesus is the eternal Word of God. We've been preaching through the book of Genesis for many months now. And we've been studying really the beginnings of the revelation of God to His people. And we've been studying that the beginnings of God's plans and how appropriate it is for us now to take a break from Genesis to to really reflect on the beginning again now, but in light of Christ. And for us to see his part at the very beginning. You see, at the very beginning, before the beginning began, the word was, God was. There's a there's a Greek word that we've translated in English as the word, and it refers to an outward expression really, or to speech or to a message. And this, this word that we have translated in English as, as the word, it also points back to the revelation of the word in the Old Testament. Every time we see God's word spoken of in the Old Testament, it's his powerful self-expression in creation. It's in the revelation of God, it's seen in salvation. John helps us see that God's word is really the ultimate self-disclosure of God in the person of his Son. His word is the ultimate self-disclosure of God in the person of His Son. Genesis 1-3 and Psalms 33-6. I'm not going to have them up here, but we'll have them up on the blog for you later. We can see the Word is tied to the powerful activity of God in creation. And throughout the creation narrative, if you remember, God simply speaks and His powerful Word creates. And who is that Word? That Word is Jesus. In Jeremiah 1-4 and and, and Isaiah 9-8, Ezekiel 33-7, Amos 3 all, all throughout the Old Testament, the word is active in Revelation. Who is that word? That word is Jesus. Psalm one hundred seven twenty, Psalm Isaiah fifty five one. The word is, is active in deliverance. In Isaiah, it's the word of the Lord that comes to Isaiah. In Isaiah fifty five eleven, and Psalm twenty nine three. The, the God's word it brings both deliverance and judgment. Psalm one hundred seven twenty. God sends forth His word, heals them, and rescues them from the grave. When when it says that the word was with God, it's clear that the the word's not the entire Godhead. But it's clear that the word was God and equally divine. That should blow your mind. That the God the Father, God the Son, equally divine. We see in the very beginning the Trinity at work. And this, this word that was in the beginning was with God. He's, he's revealed God and he's made God known to us in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a quote by D.A. Carson i to share with you. It says, the word was with God, God's eternal fellow. The word was God, God's own self. And, and John intends that the whole of his gospel shall be read in light of this verse. The deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. If this be not true, the book is blasphemous for us. The truth of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in eternity past is, is something I'm not sure we're ever going to fully grasp. These verses tell us that no matter how hard we try to imagine a time when God the Son did not exist, there never was such a time. God the Son has always existed, and there was, ne- there was never a time when the Word did not exist. And the Word is the very originator of creation. When you think of Jesus, I want your idea of Jesus to be changed by what Scripture says of Him. I want you to see Him as as the one who preceded the beginning. The dynamic power of God. The one who is the origin of all creation. We're getting a glimpse into the origin of all things. Absolute beginnings of everything that we can see and know and understand. The Word was with God from the very beginning. And if if we really grasp that Jesus is the very revelation of God himself, it's going to change the way we think of him and change the way we treat him. So the word is is with God and God himself. The word was a distinct person, yet John tells us not only is Jesus the eternal word of God, he tells us that Jesus is the creator as well. And that's our second point this morning. Jesus is the creator. There was nothing... Made that was made without Him. The Word Himself was the very agent of God's creation. He was the originator of everything that existed. He was with God before anything was made. So let me ask you a question. When did the Gospel start? You could say, it didn't actually start with the birth of Christ. The starting point of Gospel was was in the word the son of god and it was before the beginning of the entire universe you see god planned before time began planned the gospel in the person of his son that's the beginning of the gospel the pre-existent christ the word of god he's the personal agent of god that created everything that exists and in fact paul tells us in colossians 1 for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Hebrews 1, 2 and 3 says, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power, let me ask you this morning, is He altogether lovely? Is He altogether worthy to you? The Word came to be in the world that was made through Him. That is astounding. A few years ago, when I taught on God becoming man here, I used the illustration of a dust mite. and It's like us condescending to become a dust mite. Well, I, that, that even pales in comparison to what really happened with Christ becoming man. The eternal the eternal, omnipotent Creator became flesh. To many minds, that's scandalous. It's revolting. It's the scandal of the Gospel. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And yet, as we find in Isaiah, He was despised and rejected. The question for us is, do we recognize Jesus as the Creator, do we recognize Him to whom we owe allegiance, or have we created a God of our own making? Have we made Jesus smaller than He really is? Do we half-heartedly serve Jesus because we don't really see Him as altogether wonderful? Let me encourage you this morning. There's hope that your view, your your vision, your picture of Jesus can be. You can see Him for who He is. It can be exalted. And you can fall in love with Jesus, again, afresh. You can see him as altogether lovely, as altogether worthy, altogether wonderful. Surely if he created everything too, How does this truth affect us? He's the creator of everything. If he created everything, this Jesus who came to save us, then surely, surely he can help us in our daily struggles. Surely He can help us in our challenges of parenting and, and our marriages. Surely the Creator of all is not smaller than our troubles. Is not smaller than our challenges. Do we see Jesus as bigger? Do we see Jesus as the Creator who is, who is God overall, who is bigger than any challenge, bigger than any difficulty, bigger than any trouble, bigger than any trial, bigger than any weakness that you have? Is Jesus God the Creator to you? Or is He a God of your own making? See, the Word of God came into the world in the law, in prophecy, in deliverance, in judgment, in mercy, in wisdom, in the personal appearance. But in all those cases, the world didn't know Him or acknowledge Him as their Creator. But Jesus, indeed, is not only the Creator, not only the eternal Word of God. He's the giver of life and light. He's the giver of life and light. When I was a kid, a local movie theater it was called the Cinema Six in Apple Blossom Mall. We thought this was a huge theater. They had six of them, it was astounding. We couldn't believe it. A movie theater came to our town. And it and used to shine these huge spotlights up into the sky. And And it's funny, these these spotlights, we could see them from about three miles away where we lived. And when, when we first saw these lights, I didn't know that they had opened up a new movie theater yet. And I was just a little kid. It was in the 70s. And, and so um, we saw these lights. And what in the world is that? You know, is, is Commissioner Gordon signaling Batman? I mean, what's happening here? It's, it's these lights that we... We've never seen those lights in the sky, and and it was it was a spectacular sight for a little kid in, in the '70s. You know, they, um, you know, nowadays my kids would be like, yeah, whatever. You know, it, it's it, lights aren't so amazing anymore. And now we have arcade games, and all kinds of stuff in homes, and you know, it's just it's very different nowadays. But to us at the time, it was a grand sight to behold. And and we all we all, all the kids we would ask my dad, hey, can we get in the car and go see where that light is coming from? we got to go see, where's this light coming from? And so we drove there, actually. My dad said, sure. So we got in the car, and we all drove to the movie theater. We didn't know it was the movie theater the first time we went there. And We drove there, and it was a little bit of a letdown, but yet, whoa, this must be really cool. They've got these huge lights, and they seem to go up into the heavens, and they were swirling around like this. And, and so every time that we release a new movie, every, I guess every, every few weeks, these lights would shine up into the heavens. And they seemed so huge, and they, the darkness didn't seem to comprehend these lights. You know, I was thinking, I would have hated being a pilot when they first cut those lights on flying, buying my own business, and this spotlight gets shined up in your eyes. And just wondering how many planes kind of had some troubles. But When Jesus came, his, his arrival was like a bright light shining in the dark world, and his arrival announced that God had come to be with man. But this is, this is no Hollywood hype where the press is is far bigger than the content where the hype is great but then you walk away thinking that movie was really lousy and, you know think about the movies that came out in the 70s i don't think any of them deserve these bright lights to be shining everywhere i i mean look back on that and i have these great memories of these movies and when i was a kid and i i, I, I mistakenly watched one of them with my kids a few weeks back and realized that was an awful movie they didn't deserve to be spotlighted all over the place and Yet the substance of who Jesus is is actually the reverse of this. It's far greater. Far greater than often what we see. It's not like these spotlights. In fact, it's like comparing these spotlights shining in the dark to the broad sunlight of the noonday in the summertime on a clear day. You wouldn't be able to see those spotlights in the sky. They're nothing. And really, that's. That's the coming of Jesus. He's he's the light of the world. He's the light of the world. God revealed. God has made His dwelling place with man. His light had come to shine in the hearts of mankind. And here is the amazing truth that all can now come to God through Jesus Christ. All can come and receive eternal life. People can come to The God who dwells in inapproachable light, we can now approach Him through the light who has come to earth. Jesus Christ, God made flesh. The Word, the originator of all life. You see, not only was He the originator of life and creation, He's the one who gives us eternal life. He's the one who shines in our dark hearts. I love looking in Revelation for what it's going to be like. And and there's a great picture of of where light's coming from in Revelation. Revelation 22.4 says, they will see His face, speaking of, of God, speaking of the Lamb. His name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. It's comparing this, the sun to a lamp. There's something brighter coming, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Remember back in Genesis 1 3, before the sun was created, God said, Let there be light, and there was. That light was, was emanating from Jesus himself, emanating from God himself, who's the light of the world. And one day we're going to truly see Him as He is. And Jesus, this Word of God, shares the, the same self-existing, self-sustaining life as God the Father. And He's both the light of the world and the life. And in, in John eight twelve, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life even when you feel like your life is dark, even when you feel like you're lost, even when you don't feel like you know where to go, you can trust that Jesus is your light. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will shine the way that you should go as you trust in Him. That doesn't mean that life will be clear. That doesn't mean that you'll know five steps down the road. But it does mean that you will not walk in darkness. You will have Him to light your way. John 9, 5, Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, He's speaking to Martha. She was doubting who Jesus was. She was wavering. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Here's a wonderful truth this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? Listen, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He asked Martha, He asks us today, do you believe this? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The light of the world is the light that shines in the darkness. And though the darkness sought to overcome it, it has not overcome the light of the world. Verse 5 doesn't just refer to light shining in creation, it refers to the word shining in the midst of a... An evil world. And the evil world has not overcome it. And maybe this morning you're feeling like there's so much evil in the world and the world has certainly overcome it. Even though it first appeared to have overcome Jesus in the crucifixion, the light shone forth in His glorious resurrection and the light continues to shine through Jesus today. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Word of Became flesh, has brought the light of redemption and the light of his new creation to all mankind. Are you experiencing that life? Is he the life that is lighting your life? Verse 9 of John 1 tells us that the only the word is the true light. Only the word is the true giver of life. Oftentimes we look to other sources for the giver of life. We look for hope in the things of this world. We look for hope. In other areas. We look for life. In the things that are here. And instead we're told to look to him. He's the only source of life. He's the only source of really true hope. It says for God so loved the world. That he sent his only son. The fact that. God sent his son into the world. It doesn't say anything positive about the world though. It it, it says something. It says something positive about Jesus. And it says something bad about the world. The world needs A savior. But the good news is, a Savior has come. Hallelujah! Hope has come. Sadly, we know that the light of the world, it, it, although it shines on every man, it doesn't. Not every man responds equally. Some upon whom the light shines on, we see in Scripture, flee from the light, so their deeds are not exposed. But others receive this revelation of God, and they're saved. And and this morning, if you've if you've not received Jesus, I want to encourage you as The Scripture talks about believing in Him, believing in His name, believing in who He is. What is His name? His name is His characteristics, His attributes, who He is. And then it's receiving Him, it's trusting in Him as the giver of light and life. Our fourth point is that Jesus is not only the Word of God, He's not only the Creator, the giver of light and life, He's also the promised Son of God. He's the promised Son of God for hundreds of years, for, in fact, 1,500 years prior to, The Messiah had been prophesied. In the Old Testament, it includes at least 60 different prophecies with at least 300 different references of the coming Messiah. And and each and every one of these throughout the Old Testament was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. From 1,500 years prior, when Moses didn't even know he was prophesying about Jesus. And now, the the final prophet it speaks about in, in this passage is John the Baptist. The final prophetic word, crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, the, the fulfillment of the, the return of Elijah. And he comes to bear witness about the light, the life that is in the word. And the, and the purpose of John's entire life was to bear witness to who Jesus is. And, and John bore testimony and pointed to who Jesus is, the Son of God. He was the final, really, Old Testament prophet. Why does he figure so greatly in Scripture? He's the final prophet who pointed and prepared the way for who Jesus was, and he revealed the true light of the world. He had the privilege of, unlike the prophets before him, actually seeing the fulfillment of prophecy in person. When he said, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Could you imagine? We're to follow like John as well, to bear witness to the light. Use this season. Take advantage of the opportunity of Christmas parades and baking cookies and going to friends' houses and having parties and all that kind of stuff. Take advantage of that to bear witness to who this is that we worship to the, the true life and light of men. Not only is Jesus the Word of God, the Creator, the Giver of life and light, the promised Son of God, He's the only genuine Giver of grace and truth. You see, we can seek truth outside of Jesus, but we'll never find it. He's the only giver of grace and truth. It says in verses 14 and 16 through 18 as well, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was born as a baby. The Creator became creature. It's astounding, the Creator and the Giver of life would Himself become man. And then we see the supreme revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And we see in, in Hebrews 1, long ago, many times, remember this? In many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He spoke to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. A guy named F.S. Bruce once said that when the Word became flesh, God became man. That's astounding. This is not like Greek mythology. This is not like the mythology of, of Zeus coming down to visit mankind going back up and being distant from Him. Jesus is not some demigod, half God, half man. No, Jesus was fully God and yet fully human. He wasn't removed on some Mount Olympus. No, this is the real God we speak of, the one true God, the real Creator of the universe who's not distant from us. He came to dwell among us. He came to be with us. The same glory of God that he, he made known His presence in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting in the Old Testament. He came to make known the presence of God in, in the human tent, the human tabernacle of Jesus. And the phrase, dwelt among us, it, 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 it really reflects back to the Old Testament when it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is like God's presence somehow dwelled in a, in a limited fashion in the tabernacle. Now, Jesus and God in His fullness From his fullness we have all received grace. The presence of God revealed the tabernacle to dwell among us. Jesus came, he lived, he tabernacled in the world. (coughs) Why did he do that? Because he wanted the world to believe in him and come to God through him. John Piper, he put it this way. He said, I think what pitching a tent with us implies is that God wants to be on familiar terms with us. Do you believe that? He's not a distant God. He wants to be close. He wants a lot of interaction. You come into a community and build a huge palace with a wall around it, it says one thing about your desire to be with the people. But if you pitch a tent in my backyard, you will probably use my bathroom and eat often at my table. This is why God became human. He came to pitch a tent in our human backyard. So that we would have a lot. So that we would have a lot of dealings with him. We see that Jesus is the only giver of grace and truth, and he displayed the fullness of the glory of God and signs and wonders and in his death and his resurrection we have we have seen the glory as of the only begotten. You know, in Exodus 33, Moses asks to see God's glory. And God passes by Moses and declares, God declares, the Lord, the Lord. Do you remember that? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Now, we can see God through the person of His Son. Moses didn't see God face to face. He just kind of saw the, the backside back of God passing by Him. But it says that now God's glory has been seen in the goodness and the person of His Son made flesh. Jesus displayed God's glory and His compassion. He demonstrated God's glory being slow to anger, rich in love and faithfulness. Not only then, but to each and every one of us. And forgiving even those who crucified Him. On the cross, He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's astounding. We've seen the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And that's what our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. Not only did He do that once, but He continues to forgive Our wicked hearts when we rebel against Him and we sin against Him. Jesus, the Word of God, who's God the Son, fully God, the Father's side, He's made the Father known to us. Jesus has broken an impenetrable barrier. You see, you can't get to God on your own works. You can't get to God on your own merit. You can't get to God based on bloodlines or descent. That's what it's saying, Not, not of human will, not of the flesh. Not even the people of Israel as they descended anymore. It's not of the flesh. It's not of human will. It's not of blood. It's not of sacrifice. It's not of effort. It's not of work. It's the will of God. And Jesus has willed to come and reveal God to each and every man. And it's his desire that each and every man see God for who he is and respond to him. And in seeing the full light of revelation of Jesus, the eternal word of God, the creator of all, the giver of life, we're all faced with a choice. That's where we're closed this morning, the, the final point, is so that we can receive Jesus or reject Him. I trust that most in this room have received Jesus for who He is and believed upon Him. But what I want to encourage you today is, is truly receive, receive Jesus in all the fullness of who He is. I want to encourage you to meditate on, to reflect on who Jesus is, His His greatness, His glory. His, he's the Creator, the Giver of life. He's the Eternal One. He's the Word of God. He's... He's the one from whom all grace and truth come. Receive him as that. For those who have not received him yet, you you have a choice whether to finally and ultimately, not just this morning, but you don't know when your life will end, to either receive him or reject him. You can't you can't be ambivalent towards Jesus. He's not a figure to be ignored. says, even the very people that God called to be His own people set apart for Him, the people of Israel, they did not receive Him. Receiving Jesus is to believe, to trust in Him completely for who He is as the true giver of life. And to receive Him in this way is to acknowledge all of His claims for who He is and confess Him as the Lord. This, this verse says, though, too, here's the wonderful promise for each and every one of us. The hope that we hold on to, that we sing of when we say, Hallelujah, hope has come. We These verses say that when we receive Him, we have a right, not begrudgingly. I think we can feel like God sometimes begrudgingly accepts us. No, that's not the case. We now have a right. For anyone who receives God, we have the right to become children of God. He's given us the right to become His child. He's not begrudging towards us. Maybe you struggle with guilt and condemnation this morning. See Jesus for who He is. Receive Him for who He is afresh. And, and then experience the joy that comes from realizing that you, because of Jesus, have the right to stand as, as a child of God. You see, Jesus was the giver of grace upon grace. You can, we can now come freely to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ and receive again mercy and grace in our time of need. We didn't have a right previously. We couldn't make claims to be children of God. We couldn't become children of God on our own merit. But now, for all, this should be calls for great worship. In a minute, I'm going to have a worship team come up. This should be great calls for worship. But now, all those who receive Jesus have the right to become children of God, born not of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. You know what that also tells you, too? That your salvation is secure in Him. You can't make yourself born again. That's why Nicodemus was really confused later on in John when Jesus says you must be born again. He's, he's very confused about that because you can't born yourself again. I can't go back in my mother's womb and reborn me. That has to be done to me. And yet the hope in that is if God has made you alive, you are finally and truly alive. Who is this Jesus? He's the eternal Son of God. He came to reveal the truth so that we would be made alive in Him. If I ask the worship band to go ahead and come up, that'd be great. You see, this morning we all have a choice. We can reject God by rejecting who Jesus is, or we can receive Jesus by believing in His name. We can ask him to forgive us for all of our sins and trust in him to forgive us and make us alive in him. And if, if you've not yet done that this morning, I would entreat you, and I would encourage you to do that. Find somebody here and say, okay, how do, I, how do I become a Christian? How do I receive Jesus? How do I believe in him? How do I put my trust in him? And, and here's the wonderful thing. Not only has God come, he remains with us. It says that he will never leave us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. If you've received Jesus, He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And we see in Revelation 21.3. Not only this, not one day God's going to live with man again. Remember Adam and Eve, how they enjoyed unhindered fellowship with God in the garden before they sinned, even though God didn't dwell there permanently? Here's the wonderful privilege for all of us. Because of Jesus, not only has our fellowship with God been restored, we can have free access to His throne of grace to receive mercy and help in our time of need today. But one day, it's going to be even better than Adam and Eve in the garden. It's astounding. Revelation 21.3, if you'll stand with this. And... Here's the promise. Not only do we have God with us today, and He promises to never leave us or forsake us. Revelation 21.3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. Not just come down to visit periodically. We get to dwell with God. It says, And they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them. As their God. Light of the world, step down into darkness. He is altogether lovely, altogether worthy, and altogether wonderful. Let's sing of him together.